Hi, Tracy. Good morning, Megan. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good morning, Megan. Good morning. Um, let me find the questions for today here. How was your weekend? Um, it was good. We had friends in town from Portland visiting. Got to hang out. Ah. Are you are you in Port Portland or are you outside of Portland? Um, I'm in Bend, Central Oregon. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So other side of the Cascade Mountains. Gotcha. I cannot believe it's December already. It totally <laughs> snuck up on me. That's for sure. Um, okay, so just two shorter questions today. So we'll go ahead and, and just jump in. All right. Question one. I have recently started going to the sauna and steam room three times a week. Interestingly, I have found it has uh, relieved quite a lot of fatigue that I have been experiencing, and I feel quite energized. Are there non-specific suggestions you would make to aid the experience? Areas I was thinking about include intake of minerals before, during, and after, any particular brushes or soap that could aid post-sauna steam. Are there useful supplements that wouldn't have a negative effect but may help with detoxification? I use the steam room for about 10 minutes pre and post-sauna for warm-up and cool-down and sauna for about 20 minutes. So first of all, I'm glad you're feeling good with this. Um, Sauna does some pretty amazing things or can do some pretty amazing things. I would first think about uh, kind of like what was um, alluded to here, water and electrolytes or mineral drops. So making sure you go in hydrated. Uh, I don't know what time of day you're typically doing this, but especially if it's in the morning, making sure you're you're hydrating beforehand. Um, consider consuming something while in the sauna or the steam room and definitely rehydrate after. And that would be, again, both replacing fluids and then also probably electrolytes. And you could even do like a, um, if you really wanted to get at this from all angles, um, you know, water, if you wanted to make your own like electrolyte drink, you could do sea salt and then something like trace minerals has some mineral drops that, um, you know, are, are not super high in sodium. So you need to add additional sodium, but there's a lot of um, both, you know, just electrolyte powders out there, or you can, you can make your own. Um, sometimes adding in just a little bit of something with glucose, whether it's a little honey or maple syrup or, you know, squeeze of, of some citrus that can help uh, facilitate the, the uptake of electrolytes into the cells. So definitely hydration, which includes water and electrolytes. Um, if you can go in fasted, that's going to support detoxification more than if you've eaten in the last couple of hours. Now it doesn't have to be fasted as in first thing in the morning. Um, but I would consider if you can leaving at least three to four hours, uh, or more since your last meal. 
of course, there's lots of reasons to go into the sauna that don't have to do with detoxification. So if that's not, a, a, you know, um, something that's doable with your schedule, it's not like you're completely missing out on the, on, on all of the benefits. Um, but when you can, that's something to consider. Maybe you're already doing it. I would consider taking a binder, um, you know, somewhere five, 10, 15 minutes prior to the sauna. So that could be something like GI detox, um, from biobotanical research that has a combination of, you know, clay and charcoal and some other things in there. Um, just kind of like a, an all spectrum, full spectrum binder. Um, Quicksilver Scientific has another good one. I think it's called their ultra binder. You could also use chlorella. You could use citrus pectin. You could just use plain old activated charcoal. Um, I don't love using um, things like charcoal long-term, uh, especially around eating. But if, again, if you're doing the sauna before, um, you know, in a fasted state, then there's there's no problem with that. Um, the, the binder and the charcoal won't necessarily bind to nutrients if you're doing it that way. Um, so much less concerned about mineral nutritional deficiencies if you're taking it in a fasted state the binder uh the, the binder that is um and you should be and then make sure you shower after we don't really know if toxins from sweat that uh, could be reabsorbed but um you know you probably just want to play it safe and, and wash wash your your skin off um with a good soap it doesn't have to be anything special but you know make sure it's a good, you know, kind of clean, non-toxic soap. Um, if you really wanted to enhance lipolysis, which is the, the breakdown of um, fat cells and the subsequent release of toxins, and then those toxins can more easily be eliminated. Um, again, I'm, I know detoxification isn't the only reason that, that you're saunaing here, but um, that is, you know, one reason to do it. Then you can further enhance lipolysis prior to the sauna or steam room by um, considering some exercise beforehand or some niacin. Um, I would start with probably 50 milligrams of niacin and work up. You oftentimes do get a flushing reaction. So, um, you know, keep that in mind. It does go away over time and, and your body gets used to it. Um, and you'll able to, you'll, you'll be able to work up to um, you know, a, a significantly higher dose, but 50 milligrams is a pretty good starting place. And, um, ideally, so there's a rebound lipolysis effect with niacin. Um, this was posted on the forum a while back, so we can link to it, but for those listening, put this on my screen. Um, so this was from this paper that was linked to, and you can see, you take niacin, um, you kind of get an, this is uh, free fatty acid concentration in the blood. So when free fatty acid concentration goes up, that's an indication of lipolysis occurring. So you actually see you take niacin here at time zero, then, um, and this is times in hours, and you actually see um, a decrease in lipolysis for the first, say, hour and a half or so. Um and then it starts coming back up and it's not really even to baseline until kind of that two and a half, three hour mark is when you get this rebound lipolysis effect. Um, so I would probably, if you can, it's a little bit of a, of a hassle to do this. Um, so most people don't do it all of the time, but if you wanted to use niacin to sometimes um, augment what you're doing in the sauna from a detoxification perspective, um, taking advantage of the, the extra lipolysis you get, 
then you really do kind of need to time it at the two and a half to three hours prior to sauna um, to take advantage of that rebound lipolysis effect. All righty. Um, question two. Are the claims made by far infrared sauna companies such as Clearlight and Sunlighten uh, that they are more effective for detoxification compared to traditional saunas substantiated? They state that the far infrared penetrates at a cellular level and that this instigates an increased release of toxins, et cetera. So I have definitely heard this claim before um, and I've looked into it and what I can say from what I've seen is that I have seen no evidence to suggest that far infrared saunas are better for detoxification. In theory, they might actually not be as effective because they don't typically get as hot as just a dry sauna. So I will definitely keep an open mind about this. And if more evidence comes out to suggest that they do have like a special mechanism of action with the, the far infrared, um, you know, great. I'm happy to change my mind. But for now, I'm more convinced that the benefits of sauna um, for detoxification and, and beyond uh, really have to do with the cellular mechanisms of getting your body hot and also just the, the um, pure fact that you're sweating. Okay, that's all I have for questions. So Stuart, Tracy, um, anything either of you have, go ahead. I've been making that tea you sent me the recipe for. Oh, how do you like it? I, it's, I like it. It's good. And sometimes I add in a ginger turmeric whole leaf tea that I have. Ooh, that sounds nice. Which is nice. Yeah. I really wish I hadn't messed up and ordered the wrong slippery elm. I got the powder, which is a silly mistake. Um, yeah. I, and it's I don't like know. a lifetime supply worth. So <laughs> it's... <laughs> Yeah. I don't know how much of a difference it makes difference it makes, but most people say just to go with the, with the bark if you can, but it's not like you're getting no benefit if you're using the powder. So I, I I'm sure it's, you're still getting something, especially along with those other ingredients. With the other ingredients so the powder. So I'm adding the slippery elm powder and also L-glutamine. Oh, nice. So it does kind of thicken it up putting those, I put them in at the end when it's still boiling hot and try and dissolve it as much as I can. But then as it sits in the fridge, cause I've been making it in bulk, like mm -hmm. eight servings worth, I think um, about a week, I guess a little, um, and it, I have to shake it really kind of re reemulsify it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, it does. It's pretty typical for it to thicken up. Um, especially when you're adding in those other ingredients, those powders, but, yeah. um, you know, a lot of the, those herbs are, kind of like demulcent mucilaginous herbs anyway. So they will naturally have kind of just like a kind of gelatinous consistency to them. So, um, and that, that's part think... of their mechanism of action of, of working to soothe the GI tract. Yeah. And things I, I, I've not been, especially this weekend, you know, I've not been eating the greatest, but things have been going well GI wise. And, but there's, has been a bit of mucus in my stool. Do you think that could have something to do with it? Um, the tea? Yeah. I guess in theory, but 
it should be helping to, you know, if that oftentimes mucus is coming from like irritation of the gut lining. And so if that tea is soothing the gut lining, it should, you should probably be having the opposite effect. Um, has the mucus, have you noticed it come on like since your diet was a little bit off, would you say, or since starting? Um, well, the diet's been off, if you will, the last few weeks, it's been, it's been looser. Um, then got, got, it's been up and down, you know, like during the week or when things aren't going on, like, I'll eat, you know, pretty good for a few days, like this weekend, I I didn't eat great, you know, not terrible, but weren't drinking. Um, because it's possible, but the mucus has really just been the last few days. So, okay. Okay. The tea's been going on for about a week, week and a half. Yeah. I doubt it has anything to do with the tea. It's possible that if you weren't drinking the tea, you would be seeing even more mucus in the gut because of, you know, being looser mm-hmm. on the diet. If, if maybe there's something causing irritation there. Um, if you wanted to, you could drop the, the, the amount that you're consuming or take it out. But I, I doubt that there's anything there that's of concern. Sure. Yeah. Um, and really, I mean, stools have been well-formed. felt good like they've actually been pretty darn good lately nice you know good consistency so that's good to hear do you consume it hot or cold if you bake it make it in bulk i know some people just chug it out of the fridge uh cold and some people prefer it hot i've been doing it hot Mm -hmm. i have thought of that like oh if i didn't have time today like just to just to get it down but i I enjoy the taste if i heat it up i usually drink tea throughout the day anyway so Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of figured the slippery elm that it, I didn't realize it may not be as beneficial, like being in the powder. Right. I just thought it was a sort of a convenience thing to to boil them all together and not have different powders and barks. But you're, I may not be getting the full benefit. You're thinking in theory. Um, again, I it's there's no study to say well slippery on powder versus versus bark um but i think because of how the powder is processed it may not have as much of like the kind of mucilaginous demulcent properties as the full bark would if you were to kind of boil it down and extract some of that okay yeah but no doubt you're like if if you take um oh what is it gi they changed the name it used to be gi cap now it's gi relief from thorn and i'm pretty sure it has it has slippery elm um and i think that they actually use like most supplements are going to be using powder slippery elm well they say slippery elm bark here i don't know if it's actually truly the bark it looks like if you look at the capsule you know it it, it all right. looks powdery so you know, a lot of the supplements are using powder. So, you know, you're still getting some beneficial effect, maybe potentially not as much, but who knows. Um, and a couple of them on the bags on the direction said to take, it slows the absorptions of medications and to take them hours away from taking a medication. Would that hold true for any, like for my probiotic, whatever, any kind of supplement I'm taking? Which ones are saying that? I don't remember. I'd have to look. I feel like it was two of the three. Um, like slippery elm, marshmallow licorice, two of those. Right. So 
it's possible. I actually don't know about that. I'm happy to look into it. Um, but I wouldn't be concerned about it slowing absorption of supplements or anything like that. Even if it did, okay. like there's no reason that it would be detrimental other than if you were trying to time something like digestive enzymes or HCL around a meal, then I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah maybe in theory. Um, but for everything else, the absorption timing shouldn't really matter that much if it's slightly yeah. prolonged. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Good question. And the benefits of this are that it's soothing the, the linings, creating mucus, helping things to move smoother and be less irritated mm -hmm. of, of these three ingredients. Yeah. And some of and them have that? actually been shown to um, almost have a gut microbiome modulating effect. So decreasing levels of certain pathogenic bacteria and increasing levels of beneficial bacteria. So they kind of act like a, um, almost like a prebiotic in that, in that case. Um, I think that's licorice, maybe slippery elm of, of the three. I think those have been shown to do that. Okay. Um, what about the L-glutamine? So L-glutamine helps, um, to feed the colonocytes. So the, the cells of your intestinal lining, um, and that's, that's probably the mechanism of action why it works for some people for gut healing. That's something that the nutritionist I worked with a while ago had recommended. So I had that on hand. So I added it in since she said, and I have a problem with buying things not at their best value. So I tend to buy the larger quantity. Like, look, you only pay a few more dollars and you get this much. So I have these giant containers of things like yeah. There's um, no reason you shouldn't use it up. Who knows? You probably, probably have to take a pretty hefty dose for it to be. That's what I was going to ask how much, I mean, it only calls for, I don't know, half a teaspoon or something on the bottle or on the bin, the container that I have, but. Yeah. So it's, I don't know how much is in a half teaspoon, but you know, usually we're talking about, you know, somewhere between typically 15 to 30 grams over the course of the day, um, split into divided doses. But some of the research has gone way above and beyond that. Um, and you can just dissolve that in water, whatever, right? Just mm -hmm. yeah. get in half a teaspoon here and there, 15 yeah. to 30 yeah, grams. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't day. have to be, you, you can have some of it in your tea and some of it can be outside of it, but it's, you know, it's hard to go overboard. So I don't know how much you're putting in your tea um, within, you know, eight servings, but you may not even count that. And you may just try to get kind of say 20 to 30 grams over the course of the day, if you wanted to experiment with it. Because mm -hmm. putting too much more in the tea out of the powders, like it's just thickening up too much. I mean, I put in figuring out eight servings. I put in eight half teaspoons, if that's what it called for, you know, I put in enough to get one of the bottles servings, one of the directions amount, you know, per, per dose, but yeah. maybe I'll try another later in the day, add some to water. Yeah. You said it does feeds the, the colonocytes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Which are what? Oh, the, the cells of the intestinal lining. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And there wouldn't be any reason that 
decaffeinated coffee or green tea would have less beneficial effects than their caffeinated counterparts. Is there? For for what? For, for like their antioxidant purposes? Correct. I don't think so. And I know coffee-wise, as far as it sometimes helps me when I'm constipated, like that seems to work the same, whether it's decaf or regular. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's some people that definitely respond to the caffeine component. Some people it's, there are certain mm-hmm. in compounds and coffee that, that may kind of have a lax of effect. Um, but as far it's as caffeine antioxidant- related, what's that? It's caffeine related. The, oh, it is. The, it is. And, okay. Well, it, no, I'm saying, and for some people that you said that it has a laxative effect, you, that part is caffeine related. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Some people get it with caffeine regardless of the source some people get it with decaf coffee some people get it with a combination of you know your the, your regular coffee so there's multiple mechanisms going on there um yeah. but as okay. far as antioxidant effects you know as long as um it's it's possible that the way they process say decaf green tea or decaf coffee you may be getting slightly less antioxidants in, within there but the total amount is so large that i i think it's still beneficial okay yeah, I do decaf green tea regularly. I hardly ever do decaf coffee, but occasionally. And mm-hmm. I was asking about one. I was curious. Yeah, about both of them. Yeah, that's all I have. Thank you. Of course, great questions. Conrad, I've, I went over your questions at the beginning. I should have waited. I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm more than happy to recap. Otherwise, if you just want to listen to the replay, that's fine too. Absolutely. No, no, it's, it's fine. I just saw your email saying that it started earlier today. So um, okay. I thought I'd jump in and see if you guys are still about, but yeah. that's fine. I'll listen back. Okay. Cool. But you good? Yeah. Good. Super. Awesome. In which case... Maybe I'll see you next week. Okay, sounds good. I'll, we'll, we'll be at the regular time next week. I have a, okay. a computer issue that I have to drive and, and take my computer in. Um, cool. So okay. That, that's cool. why I had to move. I'll have fun with that. All right, I will. <laughs> see you later. All right, take care. Morning, Megan. Hey, Stuart. Sorry, Hello. you caught me in the middle of drinking. Oh, that's sorry. All right, I don't have you on video because I'm driving. Okay. So. I would, otherwise, I would have seen that. <laughs> I don't really, well, I kind of have, I don't know. Um, on Friday, I skied for the first time. And I had an interesting gut problem occur, which was, I skied, you know, I didn't feel like I skied that hard, but evidently my biking doesn't really replace my skiing. <laughs> so I, I finished a little over two hours of skiing continuously um and you know felt like i needed to take a break to use the bathroom but didn't rush into it because it takes so much time to get my clothes off you know from skiing and by the time i got stripped down and got back to the bathroom my gut was really unhappy and stayed unhappy for i don't know 12 hours which was just surprising because i hadn't done anything unusual other than working out i don't know if you had any thoughts other than the fact that workouts can cause your gut to get unhappy i guess yeah, um, that would be my first instinct, my first answer. Um, How about I mean, altitude? Do you think altitude would play into it at all? 
Maybe I actually, let me see if I can do a quick search. What about, well, I'm looking for that. What about dehydration? Did you go in more dehydrated than usual? That can certainly uh, mess with your gut. I, yeah, I don't think so. It's possible that dehydration played a part. I know that one of the things that happens in skiing that I don't think about is I probably lose more moisture because I end up mouth breathing because my nose gets stuffy and I didn't have a I didn't have a hanky with me, so I didn't stop and try and blow it out so I could breathe through my nose more, mm -hmm. um, which might be more moisture loss than I'm expecting for that length of time. I certainly went into it what I thought was pretty well hydrated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, I got up early, you know, I get up and eat breakfast. It's two hours before I start skiing when I eat breakfast. Yeah. Um, the timing of eating was different than it's been for a long time because Normally, I don't eat until 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning, and this was eating at, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning. So it's a couple hours out of whack there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how much that could play into it. It certainly could have. Um, you know, all of your, your cells have their own clocks, and, yep. you know, same with your digestive system. So if you kind of threw things off at the start of the day by eating earlier, um, that could uh -huh. have kind of set you up for some GI distress. Um I did find a recent, looks like this was, this is a mini review, um, and I'm happy to dig into mechanisms and I can report back next week, but this does suggest that um, altitude exposures can alter intestinal barrier function. So it looks oh, like, um, yeah, so increased intestinal permeability trend, uh, and bacterial translocation, which can cause both local and also systemic inflammation. So, you know, it was it's probably not just one thing. It could have been a combination of things right. for you. Um, but certainly the, the altitude could have played a part. Yeah. It, um, it, it also was, you know, it's, I was trying to think about it. And like in September, I went for a pretty good ride at probably 3,500 feet. Um, so that's the highest altitude that I've worked out at in the last six months. Um, and this time, of course, we're up at 6,000 between 4,500 and, and six or 6,500. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, you know, it's not a dramatic alt, alt, altitude issue, but I've definitely felt like, you know, over the last five years, every time I've gone up in altitude, especially if it's higher than that, I'm more sensitive than I was when I was younger. Um, and also I'm, I mean, even when I've gone up higher, often it was, I'm starting at 5,000 feet and I'm going to 8,000 feet, right? That's, I don't know if that's the same or different, but I'm starting, I'm at sea level in Portland and I'm going to 6,000 feet. So it's a pretty good jump, you know, from a Delta, you know, from a, mm -hmm. from a change from where I'm starting, where I'm, what I'm used to and what I'm going to. So, and I think in the past years, I've definitely noticed that when I go up skiing twice a week, I get some level of adaption. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I'm not sure if the gut adapts, I, I would assume that it probably does. Um, I also, again, just because I, I just pulled this up, I don't know. Um, I, I would assume that the Delta makes a difference. I don't know how high they're looking at here. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll do some additional reading. And if there's anything else interesting to report back, I'll report back next week. But I do think that the altitude is probably a, a factor for could you. Could be a piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. The Delta is going to be interesting because I don't think I'm, I'm quite certain it's not linear. Mm -hmm. um, so like when you go from, sea level to 6,000 feet, that's different. That would have a different Delta than going from say 3,000 to 9,000 feet. 
So um, even though they both are 6,000 feet different, I believe this is, I'm intuiting this because I haven't looked at the numbers to, or, or worked out the math, but I'm just intuiting that I think there's a, a different curve to it, mm -hmm. that it's not a straight line yeah. relationship. So I would think so too. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, I was just really sort of surprised. I felt, you know, I felt like I worked out, but I didn't feel terrible when I quit skiing. And I didn't know whether or not my system was upset because I didn't get to use the bathroom when I wanted to. You know, I didn't get in and let my system do its thing. And then it got upset, but it was definitely upset after that. So um, to schedule a blood, a blood smart test, who am I trying to message? Um, I would message Margaret. Okay. Yeah. And do you know, am I able to modify who's listed in each little piece of my, I don't even know what the app's called because I haven't been in it so long. Oh, Trello? Um, in Trello. My, yeah. Because I don't yeah, think that Margaret, well, I think she's actually messaged me and I can copy her at from inside her messages, but I don't think she's on the board under, under uh, blood tests. I will. And I don't know if that's something I can modify when I'm logged in or only you guys can modify it because I don't use Trello that much. I think you can modify it, but I will just do it now because it'll take a second of my time. Cool. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, good luck with your computer problem. <laughs> Thanks. The, uh, the battery hypertrophied because apparently um, you can overwork a computer. <laughs> and I also... Um, made the mistake of i guess keeping keeping it plugged in, like the it the, the computer plugged in too long as far as charging it so they were telling me at the apple store that you really do need to like let the battery drain and and then you know re recharge it i don't know how much of a of a um you know effect that was having versus having you know 10 windows with 50 tabs each open and not turning my computer off as as um frequently as i should <laughs> Yeah, it's actually interesting to me, the battery issue. I'm not going to go off on a totally different technological side bent, but in the automotive industry, because batteries can have a problem with being overcharged, they manage it in their charger or with the, you know, there's just no reason like the electric car that I have right. does this without me having any control, but Tesla, so you have complete control. You can go into a Tesla and say, oh yeah, I only want it to charge to 80% and then I don't want it to discharge past 20% because that's going to give you the best battery life. And if you don't need the full battery then for your daily use, then get the best battery life, right? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me that computers don't have any of that technology and I don't know, I don't really understand. It doesn't seem like it would be that hard for them to put it in, but maybe I'm misunderstanding how, we, how much complexity is involved. <laughs> interesting i didn't know that about about car batteries um but yeah wouldn't that be nice if well just like a foolproof it's actually of true of lithium-ion batteries it was um i happen to have a chevrolet volt which is a it's a hybrid but it's a plug-in hybrid and in the research they did when they were developing the car which is more than 10 years ago they figured out that the battery life is dramatically better if they keep it in the middle 60 percent and so they don't even tell you, they say you have a 14 kilowatt battery, but you don't really have a 14 kilowatt battery. You have like a 18 or 20 kilowatt battery, but they're just not letting you use two kilowatts at the bottom and two kilowatts at the top. Um, because that way the life of the battery is going to be dramatically extended. Um, so I assume the same thing would be true of lithium ion batteries in phones and computers. 
And as a result, I kind of do what Apple's saying to some degree, which is like on my phone right now, and I may not be like, no, it is, it's right in there. Um, I will purposely unplug it when it gets to 80 or 90% because I don't need it. I don't need the battery charge more than that on my daily usage. So, and I'll purposely try and plug it in when it gets down to 20%. Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking that that's going to give me better life based on what the auto industry has said they've thought they've learned. (laughs) Yeah. And the the guy at Apple yesterday, he's like, yep, I use the 80, 20 rule or I recommend the 80, 20 rule. So. Yep. Well, I'm not sure that the, phone companies and electronic companies did nearly the research that the automotive people did. Mm -hmm. The automotive people had a big driver to do it because if you buy a car and that car really stops, starts to not work work very well after a few years because the battery is degrading, people are going to be pretty upset. Whereas when that happens with a phone, the phone after five years is at the end of its life, right? I mean, you can't even use a phone that's more than five years old, really. I mean, you can, but it's not, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't work that well. So it's a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Side note, side technology wrote. <laughs> Always interesting. Right. Um, well, I did add Margaret to your get blood drawn card on your Trello board. So you should be able to message her and cool. talk her there. Yeah. I just need to get around. But should have been doing that two months ago, but I didn't do it. So I'm going to do it now. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm due right. as well. Yeah, no, I think I was trying to do four times this year. This will end up being three times. And I think what I'm going to do is go to twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall, just trying to partly to watch vitamin D because that one interests me the most. And I've been supplementing the whole time now because I know I didn't get out in the sun enough. And even when I get out in the sun, I have a tendency to cover up. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, don't know what benefit you get when you have mostly covered up. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> Not you much. know. Yeah, not much. Yeah. I'm sure there's some. I mean, your face gets in the sun, mm-hmm. whatever, right? If you're in this faces in the sun or getting some amount of on and off sunlight for a few hours, it's more benefit than not getting outside at all. Yeah, so. absolutely. From a vitamin D perspective, for sure. And then you get the, you know, beyond vitamin D benefits of, of sunlight as well. Oh, yeah. I don't even, this time of year, that's the only thing, you know, our sun, I, I mean, you're pretty, you're pretty far north, but we're far enough north. I was just looking at it. The highest the sun gets at, at the apogee at noon is only 22 degrees above the horizon. Oh, wow. <laughs> in December. And so there's no vitamin D right now. You know, you could be outside naked. You're not getting vitamin D. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's yeah, interesting stuff. But I still believe there's value to being outside in the sun. So. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Megan. Have a great day. You too. See you guys. Tracy, anything Hi. else from you? You good? No, I'm good. Okay. All right. Have, Have a, a good, good week. One. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, you too, Tracy. Thanks. Bye, Stuart.